50, and in the pelvis, which continues until the period is completed, there is generally tenderness of the uterus, and also leucorrhea during the intervals between each monthly flow. In the membranous variety of dysmenorrhea, the entire mucous membrane which lines the cavity of the uterus, in consequence of some morbid process, is gradually detached and expelled at the menstrual period. Symptoms There are steady pains at the commencement of the menstrual flow, and they increase in violence and become decidedly expulsive. The mouth of the uterus gradually dilates, and finally, the membrane is forced out of the uterus, attended with a slight flow of blood and an entire subsidence of the pain. The treatment, in all the preceding varieties of dysmenorrhea, should consist of measures to determine the circulation of the blood to the surface, and increase the perspiratory functions. Congestion and inflammation of the internal organs are generally induced by exposure to cold or from insufficient clothing. Sometimes they follow from neglect of the skin, which is not kept clean and its excretory function encouraged by warm clothing. The domestic treatment at the monthly crisis should be commenced by the administration of hot foot and sits baths, after which the patient should be warmly covered in bed, and bottles of hot water applied to the extremities, back, and thighs. Dr. Pierce's compound extract of smart weed should be given in full doses, frequently repeated, to secure its diaphoretic, emenagogue, and anodyne effects, which, for this painful affection, is unsurpassed. For the radical cure of this disease, whether of a congestive, inflammatory, or neuralgic character, Dr. Pierce's favorite prescription, which is sold by druggists, is a pleasant and specific remedy, which will most speedily correct the abnormal condition that produces the trouble, and thereby obviate the necessity of passing this terrible ordeal at every monthly period. The patient should take two teaspoonfuls of the medicine three times a day, and keep up its use in these doses for weeks. Frequently, one month will suffice to cure, but in most cases, a longer season is required. In the end, the suffering patient will not be disappointed, but will become a new being, ready for the enjoyment and duties of life. The bowel should be kept regular throughout the treatment by the use of dry pierces pleasant pellets. If necessary, a hand or sponge bath should be used daily to keep the skin active, and be followed by a brisk rubbing of the surface with a rough towel or flesh brush. A wet sheet pack will cleanse the pores of the skin and invite the blood into the minute capillaries of the surface, and thus prove of great benefit. It should be repeated after an interval of seven days, but ought to be omitted if near the approach of a menstrual period. The clothing should be warm, to protect the system against changes of temperature, especially should every precaution be taken to keep the feet dry and warm. The patient should walk in the open air, and the distance should be regularly lengthened at each succeeding walk. If the course of treatment which we have suggested be faithfully pursued, a permanent cure will be effected. In the OBSDRUCDIV variety of dysmenorrhea, some organic impediment hinders the exit of the menstrual blood from the uterus, which, consequently, becomes distended and painful. The pain may be constant, but is most acute when the uterus makes spasmodic efforts to discharge the menstrual blood. If these efforts prove successful, there is an interval of relief. Flexion or aversion of the womb may produce partial occlusion of the canal of the neck of the uterus thus preventing the free flow of the menstrual fluid through it. Tumors located in the body or neck of the uterus often cause obstruction to the free discharge of the menses. Imperforate hymen and vaginal stricture also sometimes cause obstruction and give rise to painful menstruation, as these several abnormal conditions and diseases will be treated of elsewhere in this volume. We omit their further consideration here. 
Partial adhesion of the walls of the neck of the womb may result from inflammation of the mucous lining, and prevent a free and easy exit of the menstrual fluid. In many cases, the contracted and narrowed condition of the canal of the cervix seems to be a congenital deformity, for we can trace it to no perceptible cause. It is also true that contraction and partial, or even complete, stricture of the cervix, or neck of the womb, often results from the improper application of strong caustics to this passage by incompetent and ignorant surgeons. Every person has observed the contraction of tissue caused by a severe burn, which often produces such a distortion of the injured part as to disfigure the body for life. A similar result is produced when the neck of the womb is burned with strong caustics. The tissues are destroyed, and, as the parts heal, the deeper-seated tissues firmly contract, forming a hard, and yielding cicatrix thus constricting the neck of the womb, through which the menses pass into the vagina. Illustration, Figure 3, The Uterine Dilator. This instrument is introduced into the canal of the uterine neck with its blades closed. By means of the thumb screw the blades are then separated as shown in this illustration, the cervical canal being thereby dilated to the required extent. Treatment, From the nature of this malady, it will readily be seen that no medical treatment can effect a radical cure. We must therefore resort to surgery. In a small proportion of cases, the stricture may be cured by repeated dilations of the constricted part of the cervical canal. This may be accomplished by using a very smooth probe which is fine at the point, but increases in size, so that its introduction will widen and expand the orifice and canal. The stricture may be overcome in many cases by using different sized probes. In some instances, we have employed the uterine dilator, represented by figure 3. We had also introduced C-tangle and sponge tents into the neck of the womb, and allowed them to remain until they expanded by absorbing moisture from the surrounding tissues. The latter process is simple, and in many cases preferable. By means of a speculum see figures 15 and 16, the mouth of the womb is brought into view, and the surgeon seizes a small tent with a pair of forceps and gently presses it into the neck of the womb, where it is left to expand and thus dilate the passage. If there seems to be a persistent disposition of the circular fibers of the cervix to contract, and thus close the canal, a surgical operation will be necessary to ensure permanent relief. In performing this operation, we use a cutting instrument called the hysterotome C figures 4 and 5. By the use of this instrument, the cervical canal is enlarged by an incision on either side. The operation is but slightly painful, and, in the hands of a competent surgeon, is perfectly safe. We have operated in a very large number of cases and have never known any alarming or dangerous symptoms to a result. After the incision, a small roll of cotton, thoroughly saturated with glycerin, is applied to the incised parts, and a larger roll is introduced into the vagina. The second day after the operation, the cotton is removed, the edges of the wound separated by a uterine sound or probe, and a content introduced into the cervix, and allowed to remain so that it will expand and thus open the wound to its full extent. This treatment must be thoroughly applied, and repeated every alternate day, until the incised parts are perfectly healed. Illustration, Figure 4, White's HYSTEROTOME. In operating, this instrument is introduced into the canal of the neck of the womb, when a thumbscrew in the end of the handle is turned, by which a small blade is thrown out from each side, and as the instrument is withdrawn from the canal an incision is made on each side thus enlarging the passage. The upper figure illustrates the instrument closed, ready for introduction, the lower one, with the blades projected for cutting, 
Many times patients cannot understand why it is that the operation of cutting the constricted cervix causes no pain, they often being entirely unconscious of the making of the incision. The explanation is easy. The cervix uteri, or neck of the womb, is supplied with but few nerves of sensation, and is almost as destitute of sensation as the finger or toe nails, the pairing of which causes not the slightest pain. On this account we never find it necessary to administer chloroform or any other anesthetic when undertaking this operation. If the patient be extremely sensitive the application to the cervix of a weak solution of cocaine is quite sufficient to completely benumb or anesthetize the parts so as to entirely avoid all pain from the operation. Illustration, Figure 5, S-T-O-H-L-M-A-N-S-H-Y-S-T-E-R-O-D-O-M-E. This instrument has two cutting blades which shut past each other, as seen in the lower figure so as not to cut one introduced into the canal of the uterine neck. After introduction, the cutting blades are separated, as shown in the upper figure, the extent of the incision being regulated by the thumb screw attached to the handles, as represented in the lower figure, M-E-N-O-R-R-H-A-G-I-A, profuse menstruation, the word menorrhagia, which is of Greek derivation, literally means monthly breaking away, and is employed to designate profuse menstruation. This disorder must not be confounded with those hemorrhages which are not periodical, and which are due to other causes. The term menorrhagia is restricted to an immoderate monthly flow. The menstrual flow may occur too often, continue too long, or be too profuse. It induces a feeble pulse, cold extremities, weak respiration, general debility, and may occur in opposite states of the system, i.e. in women who have a plethoric and robust habit, or in those of flaccid muscles and bloodless features. When the menstrual discharge is natural, it is so gradual that by mixing with the vaginal secretions it is prevented from coagulating, while in this disease, clots are often formed. Symptoms, in women of a plethoric habit, it is ushered in by itching and heat in the vagina, pain and a feeling of weight in the loins and lower part of the abdomen, and, at times, the breasts become hot and painful, there is considerable thirst, headache, and giddiness, at last. The blood appears and flows profusely, and all the violent symptoms at once subside. The rest of the period is marked by an inordinate flow, leaving the system weak from the loss of blood. It often recurs, however, in persons who are naturally weak and delicate, in which case the periods are more frequent and continue longer, and after a time they are renewed by any bodily exertion or mental emotion, so that a constant drain exists. If the flow of blood is not continuous, leucorrhea intervenes. The patient gradually loses strength and becomes languid. Her face is pale and usually bloated. Livid circles appear around the eyes. The appetite is impaired. The bowels are constipated. And the feet and ankles swollen. Lack of blood in the brain is indicated by headache. Ringing in the ears. And dizziness. The patient is nervous and irritable. Being disturbed by the slightest noise. And the heart palpitates after the least exertion. Causes. The first form is caused by eating too much rich and highly seasoned food, drinking wine, porter, ale, or beer, want of exercise, in brief, whatever induces plethora, the second results from an insufficient or poor diet, leucorrhea, frequent abortions, want of ventilation, inherent feebleness, and whatever depresses the vital powers, either form may be due to syphilitic taints, excessive sexual indulgence, accidents of pregnancy or organic diseases of the womb. The morbid affections of the womb most likely to induce menorrhagia, are granular ulceration of its mouth and neck, fungus degeneration of its lining membrane, and tumors within that organ. 
as these subjects will be severally considered hereafter, we shall here dismiss them with this brief notice. Profuse menstruation is very prone to occur in young women of a lymphatic temperament, whose organs are sleazy in texture. Treatment. To control the excessive flow, the patient should remain in her bed, and assume the recumbent position until the period is passed. If circumstances prevent strict compliance with this rule, it should be observed as nearly as possible. Warmth should be applied to the feet, and cold cloths, which ought to be removed as soon as they become warm by the heat of the body, should be repeatedly placed upon the back and abdomen. A strong tea made from cinnamon bark, or which hazel leaves or bark, taken freely, will prove very efficacious in checking the flow. The fluid extract of ergot, in doses of from half a teaspoonful to a teaspoonful, in a little water or cinnamon tea, is one of the most effectual remedies in this affection. Another valuable remedy for arresting menorrhagia is an infusion of Canada flea bane, or the oil of this plant may be administered in doses of from 5 to 10 drops on sugar. Gallic acid is also a good styptic to employ in these cases. If there is febrile excitement, a hard pulse, frequent and throbbing, and if there is headache, thirst, parched lips, hot and dry skin, as is sometimes the case, then menorrhagia is due to an augmented action of the heart and arteries and the indication of treatment is to diminish vascular action. This may be temporarily accomplished by the use of veratrumviride, which should be continued until the flow is sufficiently diminished. The means already suggested will generally prove effective in controlling the inordinate flow at the time. Treatment that will produce permanent relief should then be adopted. The condition of the skin, kidneys, and bowels requires attention for noxious elements should not be retained in the system. To give tone to a weakened pelvic organs we know of nothing more specific in its effects than drive Pierce's favorite prescription, which is sold by druggists. It should be taken continuously for weeks, in order to fully correct the extremely weakened condition of that organ. It also aids nutrition, and thus tones up the general system, so that in the form of profuse menstruation, resulting from debility, the patient is strengthened, her blood enriched, and her nervousness quieted which constitutes the necessary treatment to make the cure permanent. As women approach the critical age, and menstruation ceases, if they are anemic, their condition is pitiable. This period is popularly denominated the turn of life. Under favorable circumstances, the vitality is decidedly enhanced, and the decline of this function is attended with a revival of the bodily powers. But when this crisis has been preceded by excessive labor, when intemperance or excesses of any kind have deranged the bodily functions and perverted nutrition, when the mind has been long and deeply depressed, or when the insidious progress of disease of the heart, liver, or other important organs, occurs in consequence of irregularities of living, then there is danger of congestion of the uterus and a protracted and profuse menstrual flow, which favors a decline. The treatment of this form of menorrhagia does not differ from that already suggested. The diet should be light and nourishing, and daily exercise, such as walking, riding, change of air and scenery, all will contribute to a restoration. A special attention should be directed to the condition of the bowels and liver. If the latter be deranged, Dr. Pierce's golden medical discovery will be a most efficacious remedy. When there is a diminution of vital force, resulting in impaired nutrition and disorders of blood, an alterative is required which will insensibly and gradually restore activity by removing the causes of derangement. Impairment of nutrition is very frequently associated with functional or organic disease of the liver, and curative measures consist of the use of alteratives, friction baths, exercise, 
nutritive diet, and diversion of the mind. Whenever a nutrition depends upon deprivation of the blood or torpor of any of the secretory organs, the golden medical discovery will prove to be an invaluable remedial agent, for it is an alterative and at the same time a blood restorative. If the bowels be costive small laxative doses of dry pierces pleasant pellets should be employed. The favorite prescription regulates the menstrual function by toning up the tissues of the uterus and restraining the escape of the menses from the orifices of the blood vessels. While the diet should be nourishing, consisting of wild game, mutton, chicken, and wine, the patient ought not to debilitate the stomach by the use of strong tea or coffee. The circulation of the blood should be quickened by riding, walking, exposure to sunlight, and fresh air. The patient ought to engage in some light occupation, in which the mind will be constantly as well as agreeably employed, but not overtaxed, by pursuing the course of treatment. Invalids suffering from menorrhagia may be permanently restored to health. The turn of life. Cessation of the menses. Menstruation commonly occurs at regular monthly intervals. During a period of about 30 years, the time for its cessation depends somewhat upon the date of its first appearance. In the temperate zones it commences at about the 15th year, and, consequently should terminate at the 45th year. Instances are common, however in which it has been prolonged until the 50th and even to the 55th year. In warm climates it commences and terminates at an earlier age, as women approach the critical period of life. If the general health and habits be good, the discharge may gradually diminish, and, at length, totally disappear, without producing any particular inconvenience. But this seldom happens. More frequently, the discharge is entirely absent for six or seven weeks, and when it does return, it is more copious than usual. In some cases, the flow is not only too profuse, but too frequent. Many months may elapse before the menses return, and, even then, they are apt to be very pale and deficient in quantity. The fluctuations of this function occasion irregularities and disturbances of the general health. When the flow of blood is diverted from the uterus, it is liable to be directed to the head or some other part of the body. In fact, there appears to be constitutional agitation and disorders of all the organs, perhaps one reason for calling this a critical period island that if there is a morbid tendency in the system, a disposition to develop tumors of the breast or uterus, these are very liable to make rapid progress at this time, since they are not relieved by the customary, local exudation of blood, it is a time favorable to the awakening of latent disorder and morbid growths, for, at the decline of the menstrual function, the uterus is not so capable of resisting vitiating influences, there is greater liability to irritation of the bladder and rectum, and the menstrual flow may be superseded by a white, acrid discharge, caused by an inflammation of the mucous membrane of the vagina, even if the system be not enfeebled by excessive losses of blood, debility may result from a continued irritation of the uterine organs, and cause the morbid discharge, the nervous system sympathetically responds, becoming exceedingly irritable, and thus implicating in this derangement every bodily organ. In some constitutions, the change of any habit is almost impossible, particularly if it is improperly acquired, or detrimental to health, and so we have sometimes thought respecting this function, that the more it has been abused and perverted during the time of its natural activity, the greater is the disturbance occasioned when it ceases. Treatment. There should be regularity in all the habits of life. Women are too apt to approach this important period without due care and consideration, when the physical system is about to suspend a function, 
it is folly to endeavor to perform the labor or assume the responsibilities which were permissible when the constitution was more robust. How the duties of each day and hour weigh upon the energies of the mother. What intense solicitude and yearning she experiences. How unselfish is that mother who each day works steadily and faithfully for others, and who is conscious of the hidden dangers that lurk around her pathway. With confiding faith and love, she commends the interests of her children to him who doeth all things well. She anticipates the wants of her family and strives to supply the desired comforts, thus wasting her strength in the labors prompted by her loving nature. Would it not be a greater comfort to those children to have the counsel of their dear mother in later years? than to have the bitter reflection that she sacrificed her health and life for their gratification, unconsciously, perhaps, but nonetheless certainly, do women enter upon this period regardless of the care they ought to bestow upon themselves, without sufficient forethought or an understanding of the functional changes taking place, they overtax their strength, until, by continuous exertion, they break down under those labors which, to persons of their age, are excessive and injurious, is it strange? When woman has thus exhausted her energies, when her body trembles with fatigue and her mind is agitated with responsibilities, that the menses capriciously return, or the uterus is unable to withstand congestion, and capillary hemorrhage becomes excessive, if the physical system had not been thus exhausted, it would have exercised its powers for the conservation of health and strength. It is better to be forewarned of the ills to which we are liable, and fortify ourselves against them rather than squander the strength intended for personal preservation. Let every woman, and especially every mother, consider her situation and properly prepare for that grand climacteric, which so materially influences her future health and life. The general health should be carefully preserved by those exercises which will equalize the circulation of the blood, and the regular action of the bowel should be promoted by the use of those articles of diet which contribute to this end. Relieve the mind of responsibility keep the skin clean, and enrich the blood with tonics and alteratives. For the latter purpose, use Drive Pierce's favorite prescription and golden medical discovery. If these remedies fail, seek professional advice, a careful regulation of the habits, strict attention to the requirements of the system, and the use of tonic medicines, will very frequently render the employment of a physician unnecessary. Whites. Leucorrhea is the symptomatic manifestation of some uterine or vaginal affection, vulgarly called, whites, we say symptomatic, for the white or yellowish discharge, which we term leucorrhea, is not a disease, but a symptom of some uterine or vaginal disorder, we call it a white discharge to distinguish it from the menses and uterine hemorrhages, it varies, however, in color and consistency from a white, glary mucus to a yellow or greenish, purulent, fetid matter, Sometimes it has a curdled appearance, at others, it is of the consistency of cream. Leucorrhea is the most common symptom of uterine derangement, and there are few females who are not affected by it at some period of life. It may originate either in the vagina or uterus, and it is accordingly termed either vaginal or uterine leucorrhea. The nature of leucorrhea is analogous to that of nasal catarrh. In a healthy state, the lining membrane of the genital organs secretes sufficient mucus to moisten them, but if the mucous membrane is temporarily congested or inflamed, the secretion becomes profuse, irritating, and offensive. Vaginal and uterine leucorrhea are essentially different in character, the former being an acid, and the latter an alkaline secretion, and, while the first is a creamy, purulent fluid, the latter is thick and ropey, like the white of an egg. In fact, 
the latter discharges rich in albuminous matter and blood corpuscles, hence, its great debilitating effect upon the system, and, if not promptly arrested it is likely to produce virginities, pruritus valves, or vulvinities. Vaginitis is indicated by intense inflammation of the mucous membrane of the vagina. When this affection is present the patient experiences a sense of burning heat, aching and weight in the region of the vagina, violent and throbbing pains in the pelvis, and the discharge is profuse and very offensive. There is also a frequent desire to urinate, and the passage of the urine causes a sensation of scalding. Pruritus valvi. The discharge irritates the nerves of the external genital parts thus producing an almost inendurable itching. Scratching or rubbing the parts only aggravates the affection. The patient is tormented night and day, is deprived of sleep, and naturally becomes despondent. Pruritus valvi, in its severest forms, is often developed when the discharge is scarcely noticeable. It is the most common result or accompaniment of leucorrhea. Vulvitis. This term indicates an inflammation of the lining membrane of the external genital parts. Sometimes the inflammation extends to the deeper tissues, causing great pain, and even suppuration, resulting in the formation of an abscess. The attack is indicated by redness, swelling, and a feverish state of the affected parts, which is quickly followed by a profuse flow of yellow pus, and, in some instances, small ulcers are formed on the affected parts. Symptoms The sufferer from leucorrhea becomes pale and emaciated, the eyes dull and heavy, the functions of the skin, Stomach and bowels become deranged. More or less pain in the head is experienced, sometimes accompanied with dizziness. Palpitation is common, and, as the disease progresses, the blood becomes impoverished. The feet and ankles are swollen. The mind is apprehensive and melancholy, and very frequently the function of generation is injured, resulting in complete sterility. Exercise produces pain in the small of the back and the lower portion of the spine, and, owing to a relation of the vaginal walls, the womb falls far below its natural position, or turns in various directions, according to the manner in which the weight above rests upon it. Ulcers are apt to appear upon the mouth of the womb, the matter from which tinges the discharge and stains the linen. Hysteria is often an attendant of this disease. Causes. The immediate cause of leucorrhea is either congestion, or inflammation of the mucous membrane of the vagina or womb, or both. The exciting causes are numerous. Among others, deranged menstruation prolonged nursing of children, pregnancy, abortions, excessive indulgence in sexual intercourse, uncleanliness, piles, uterine ulcers, and displacement of the womb, are the most common. In brief, it usually accompanies every uterine disorder which vitiates and reduces the system. During childhood, particularly in scrofulous children, discharges from the vagina are not infrequent, owing to a worms or other intestinal irritation. Among the organic causes of leucorrhea, are ulceration of the mouth or neck of the womb and tumors. These will be considered hereafter. Treatment. We have dwelt upon leucorrhea because of its prevalence and in order to exhibit the various forms it may assume. These reasons long ago prompted us to investigate it, and, ascertaining the derangement to consist in a relaxation of the walls of the vagina, attendant upon depressed vitality. For many years we experimented with various medicines to find those that would exercise specific properties in restoring the tissues involved to a natural condition, thereby arresting the abnormal discharge. Our efforts in that direction have been very successful, and our expectations more than realized. The treatment which we shall recommend is rational, based upon the pathological conditions of the disease, and has been attended with the greatest success. 
it embraces the use of those general restoratives and specific uterine tonics, so harmoniously combined in Drive Pierce's favorite prescription, a remedy which has achieved unparalleled success in the cure of this affection and won the highest praise from thousands of grateful women. In many cases, it is well to accompany its use with alterative treatment, for which the golden medical discovery will be found especially effective. It is an absurd practice to arrest the discharge with astringent injections alone. The weak and lax walls of the vagina, as well as the other tissues of the system, require strength, and this can be gained only by the use of general and special tonics. Appropriate injections as auxiliary treatment will very much assist in the cure. The favorite prescription is a special tonic for the affected parts, and the golden medical discovery is the best general alterative of which we have any knowledge. They may be taken in alternate doses every day. If the patient is very pale and anemic, one dram of the carbonate, or two drams of the citrate or pyrophosphate of iron, may be advantageously added to each bottle of the favorite prescription. If the carbonate be employed, as it is insoluble, the bottle should be well shaken every time before using. The functions of the skin should be kept active by frequent baths, and the patient, if able, should walk or ride in the open air and freely expose herself to the sunshine. If the invalid be too weak to exercise much, she should go out in warm weather and sit in the open air. Sunshine is no less important in maintaining animal, than in supporting vegetable growth and health. The human being, like the plant, sickens and grows pale, weak and tender. If secluded from the sunlight, the apartments occupied should be thoroughly ventilated. Many women are sickly and feeble because they live in badly ventilated rooms. We cannot too strongly urge in this, as in all other chronic diseases peculiar to a woman, that the bowels be kept regular, frequent, but small doses of drive pierces pleasant pellets will prove most beneficial. If the vaginal passage is tender and irritable, an infusion, or tea of slippery elm bark is very soothing, and may be used freely with a vaginal syringe. Whatever injection is employed, should be preceded by the free use of castile soap and warm water, to thoroughly cleanse the parts. One part of glycerin to six parts of water is a soothing lotion when there is much tenderness, heat, and pain in the vagina. If there be no great tenderness in the vagina, or if the acute, inflammatory symptoms have yielded to the lotions already suggested, then a tonic and astringent injection should be employed. For this purpose a wash made by dissolving one of Drive Pierce's purifying and strengthening lotion tablets, in one pint of hot water is a superior application and, 